0: We look at two prospects making their debuts and try to make sense of Tyler Glassnow's strange season.
1: Like Duff and taxes, Dodger's good a Dodger. I have That's not good. had uh, three go yet. It worked great for. in a fantasy I'm just glad mm. I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15. On The Athletic.
0: Welcome to Fantasy Baseball 15 for Friday, August 14th. I'm Al Melkier and I am here with Derek Van Riper and DVR. The uh, prospect debut uh, train just keeps on going uh, with uh, one prospect making a debut on Thursday. And then we got another one set for this weekend. So the debut that's uh, already happened, Alec Boehm for the Phillies went one for four. Uh, against the Orioles in his first big league game hit a double and all three of his batted balls uh, went for more than 95 miles an hour so that classifies each one as a hard hit ball so pretty nice debut for uh, for Boehm Uh, where should he be owned in fantasy
1: I think he's worth considering in leagues as small as 12 team mixers I think If he starts moving up higher in the order, then there's absolutely a case for him to be rostered in pretty much all formats. I think that's the concern, though, in the short term. This is a Phillies lineup that prior to Thursday, before his debut, ranked second in terms of WRC plus in Major League Baseball. Only the Yankees as a team had a better WRC plus. So I do think he's going to be a little bit stuck, uh, stuck a little bit in the bottom third of the order, uh, at least in the short term. So in terms of actual playing time, I'm not really worried about him getting pulled in and out of the lineup, I think. Unless he goes into a prolonged slump, he's going to be a regular because I don't think the Phillies would have brought him up if they didn't have every intention of giving him a significant role. And I think the follow-up question becomes, you know, who really loses the most here? Is this uh, Scott Kingery moving into a super utility role? Uh, is this going to be a case where maybe they float the DH a little more often, where Jay Bruce is that guy against righties, and then they use Segura or... Bohm or even McCutcheon occasionally in that spot and just move guys around. Like I think they have enough flexibility defensively where Boehm's going to be fine. Like He'll be the primary third baseman and other guys can sort of accommodate him.
0: Yeah, and I think that scenario that you set up uh, with Scott Kingery going to a utility role, that's the team's intention anyway, based on uh, one report that I looked at. And um, yeah, Boehm should be playing every day. So I, I think Kingery is probably the one that we should be talking about. He he really stands to lose the most, and he's not he's just not hit well so far. So uh, I'm a Kingery owner, so um, you know, not asking for a friend here, asking for myself. Uh, do you see him as droppable in a 15 team mixed league?
1: I think you would at least consider it. It's strange to say that about a player who narrowly missed 20 home runs last year and only played 126 games, stole 15 bases as well. I think it's interesting, too, that his strikeout rate's actually been down in the limited plate appearances that he's had this season. But he's been a mess. It's strange. There's not really a good explanation for it. At least there's not one that I've seen yet. Uh, exit velocity's down a little bit because the hard hit rate's down. So nothing really looks right with him. I think the question beyond whether or not to keep him on your roster in a 15 team or where he's probably good enough to at least be on the bench... Is do you want to target him as a buy low in long term leagues? Because it seems risky in keeper and dynasty leagues to be relying on a guy who is already 26 years old and one who doesn't seem to have a regular defensive spot to call his own. Like that's a very risky profile, even though he brings power and speed and and kind of put that together for a full season a year ago
0: yeah well uh, obviously it depends on the uh, the type of format uh, i think after just you know a handful of games it doesn't make a whole lot of sense uh to be trading him at a discount uh in in a keeper league but Uh, I suppose you see maybe what you can get out there and maybe somebody likes the potential that's still there. But uh, I think for me, in most cases, that would be a hold situation if we're talking longer term leagues. Um, So, as I mentioned at the outset, there's another prospect debut on the horizon and, um, you know, this is an interesting situation because we're talking about Dylan Carlson. So the Cardinals are slated to return on Saturday. They're going to uh, restart their season with a doubleheader uh, at the White Sox. And that's going to be the first of three doubleheaders that they're going to play across five days. So they're going to have a doubleheader against the Cubs on Monday, another one on Wednesday. So uh, the the Cardinals certainly will have... Um, You know They can provide at-bats even if somebody's not playing every day. But just like with Boehm, uh, I think the safe assumption is that if Carlson's up, he's up to play. So there could be a lot of playing time for Dylan Carlson in the short term.
1: Yeah, and I think Carlson is a guy that I would actually consider rostering even in 10-team mixed leagues. I think there's a good chance that he has a more prominent spot in the Cardinals lineup. I think their offense, as constructed coming into 2020, needed an impact bat to kind of offset the loss of Marcelo Zuna over the winter. I think they really kind of failed to replace him. So you could see Carlson ending up in the middle third of the order or maybe even the top third, depending on how much they trust him to get on base ahead of someone like Paul Goldschmidt. He can do a little bit of everything, Al. I mean, I think he's going to make this offense, uh, you know, at least a league average offense. And I think they were one you could think about picking on Generally speaking, you know, before the season started, we'll see who's actually available as they resume play. Maybe there's still a team that people are going to stream against with some success in the short term. But I'm definitely in on Dylan Carlson in leagues where both he and Boehm are available. I do have a slight preference for Carlson at this point.
0: Yeah, uh, no, he's one of the top hitting prospects in all baseball. So, uh, you know, that that's a call that certainly makes a lot of sense. And it is of right now as we're talking. Yeah, it's it's sort of hard to see. Or hard to know exactly what that Cardinals lineup is going to look like, who's going to be available. Uh, but by the time that we're making fab bids, we'll have a little bit more clarity, I would think, given that they'll be playing a couple of games on Saturday and a game on Sunday, get to see some lineups. And with the Cardinals not only having two uh, double headers early in the week next week, you have to figure they're going to be playing a, a very concentrated schedule going forward. So this week, there's an opportunity maybe to roster some Cardinals and just get a lot of at-bats, uh, in some cases, maybe a lot of innings. So is there anybody in particular think that would be worth targeting maybe in a 12-team league? So I'm thinking uh, in that depth of league, somebody like Colton Wong, Tyler O'Neill, um, and not to mention Dylan Carlson. Uh, those players could be available and at least for uh, a week or two, maybe could provide a lot of playing time.
1: Yeah, I also wonder, too, if uh, guys like Dexter Fowler and Harrison Bader, if they've been let go in a 15-team league, if they temporarily at least become rosterable. I mean, I just think that extra playing time, if they end up playing both sides of most or all of those doubleheaders, that's a pretty big jump over what a typical week schedule includes. Uh, but it's tricky because I think for some guys who are a little more platoon-centric, the matchups might dictate whether or not they play both games. So I think there's some value to be had here, but it's really difficult to see who beyond the top end players gets the biggest boost because rosters are a little bigger than usual, right? We're talking 28 instead of 26 that affords teams a little more flexibility to mix and match with platoons and and have some bench guys around who ordinarily wouldn't be there. And the other thing, too, is
0: that uh, these, uh, these schedules are changeable, as we have seen. So you might go in with the intention of getting uh, some big-time uh, compilers, and uh, plans may dictate otherwise. So uh, definitely something that we need to do with caution. And just really quickly here, a couple of Mets notes uh, and, and things that may not be uh, so as bad as they looked. Jeff McNeil had to be carted off the field on Thursday, um, but it looked like he had a bad knee injury. But turns out that the x-ray on his left knee was negative, and he is listed as day-to-day with a knee contusion. So one will obviously track, but that one may wind up not being as serious as initially uh, it, it appeared to be. And David Peterson was lifted. He uh, pitched five innings, uh, but um, could have probably gone longer, but uh, had, a, had a sore shoulder and uh, was cited in a number of different reports as a precautionary move. Again, sometimes we have to maybe not take those things uh, 100% at face value. So a, a situation that we need to watch. So with Peterson slated uh, for now to make a start against the Marlins on Tuesday, is he, uh, you think, safe to go? Or, um, you know, even if we don't have word by, say, Sunday night uh, or Monday morning,
1: uh, do you think it's, it's worth taking the chance with Peterson? I think he's probably worth picking up as a streamer. I don't know if I really want to keep him on my roster beyond a favorable start against the Marlins. I think the strikeout rate we've seen so far is better than I've expected. 14 Ks and 16 and through two-thirds innings entering the start on Thursday. Uh, keeping the ball in the park so far. But the walk rate's a little higher than you'd expect. I'm just looking at Peterson as kind of a, a steady innings eater for this Mets team who will occasionally turn in a good start. So... I'm okay with the Miami start as long as we don't get some bad news prior to the weekend.
0: All right. Well, just add that to the list of things to watch this weekend. And uh, we got a couple of notes from the NL Central. But first, we do have a message from our friends at Indochino. All right, DVR. Uh, well, the uh, Brewers, they optioned Eric Lauer to the alternate site. Uh, they're not going to need a fifth starter uh, right away. They've got uh, a day off on Monday. But, uh, you know, I, I always look for an excuse to <laughs> discuss Freddy Peralta with you because I figure down the line uh, he could be uh, in contention maybe to rejoin that rotation. Is that how you're seeing it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's at least possible. And I, I, I can't really make heads or tails of how important it is with the Brewers to start a guy versus using him in the bulk role. We saw it on Thursday night. Uh, it was Corbin Burns following. Brett Anderson, and they basically chop the game in half. It's kind of like, from a fantasy perspective, you would prefer that you have the follower be the more skilled guy because then he's better positioned to actually get a win. Uh, But I actually don't know like what the Brewers are using to make that decision. If they're using a specific team and saying this team's better against lefties than righties, so we're gonna we're gonna throw the righty instead of the lefty. If they're mixing and matching based on that, or if they use the more skilled guy after the starter because then they know if the situation uh, calls for that pitcher to actually be used or not. Like if the Brewers had a big lead and Brett Anderson was pitching, maybe they wouldn't throw Corbin Burns right behind him. They'd save him for a different day. So it's, it's just really hard to get a read on how exactly they're trying to manage things, even though we have a good sense of workload within any particular outing. Uh, but Freddie Peralta looks great. I mean, I, look, I, I'm, I'm going to be there five years from now, if he's still bouncing between the rotation and the bullpen and striking guys out, but not doing it consistently, I'm still going to be standing there waiting for the breakout. I I know he's just that type of player for me. Uh, But I I think what we're seeing from him is really good control of his curveball in particular. Like He's locating that where he wants to. I think it's making him a little less dependent on the fastball. That's been something he's needed to work on since arriving in the big leagues. And I think that's something that can actually give him a path to continue succeeding the way we've seen him to this point so i don't know if he'd be as effective trying to go through the lineup that third time but the way he's being used right now sort of maxes out his fantasy value at least in the short term
0: yeah well uh you know that's what you want right uh whatever role it is so uh, you want to have the one that's going to give him the most value uh and just a couple of um couple of standout performances to take note of on a really, really light Thursday slate. Um, Of course, we got to just mention not that there's any real fantasy impact here, but you Darvish uh, going seven innings, 11 strikeouts uh, toying with a no hitter into the seventh inning. Justin smoke broke that up with a solo Homer, but um, you know, that's clearly a standout performance that at least deserves a mention, but I also want to talk about Tyler glass now, because he had a start. That's really sort of a microcosm of uh, the season to date. Granted, not that we're deep into the season, uh, game games wise, maybe percentage wise. But uh, Glass now just lasting four innings, five runs on eight hits, but also eight strikeouts. And that's been kind of the story for him getting hit around, giving up a lot of hard contact, but getting more whiffs than he did even last year, at least in terms of a percentage. His contact rate on uh, pitches that he locates in the zone. It's a, a pristine 7.6%. I mean, anything in the 80s is good, and he's barely in the 70s, uh, at least entering Thursday's start. So, you know, what, what do you make of all this uh, with a mixed bag of indicators from Glassnow? Uh, are the right ones looking good for you, or uh, is there concern here?
1: I'm a little concerned. I just wonder if it's fastball command. The Velo is actually up a tick from from last year. He was at 69, 96.9 miles per hour in 2019, he's at 97.2. Early on in 2020, the curveball still been really effective. So it seems like he's not really hitting his spots with that four seamer, and and that's been working against them. Opposing hitters are doing damage where they connect in that pitch. Uh, is it correctable? I mean, I, I tend to think it is. I think the only thing that gives me a little extra pause is just Tyler Glassnow's lengthy history of command trouble prior to. His run of really putting it together last season in Tampa Bay, and that was a an injury-shortened season, too. So it wasn't like he did it over 150 innings a year ago. Uh, ultimately, I see him as more of a buy low, uh, if, if, if possible, because I think the payoff could be huge. I think he's still, as you said, missing a ton of bats, but the sky is still the limit for this guy. And it's amazing he does it really relying so heavily just on two pitches. Yeah,
0: it really is. It uh, really is incredible. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I have them in our Tout Wars League. Um, I'm just going to hold for now. i um, definitely not looking to, to sell them at a discount. So uh, we'll see how the next start goes for Glass now. And uh, as we wind up here, I just want to make a note that uh, we've talked before about how this short season, it really makes it difficult to judge uh, stats that players are compiling because uh, really a lot of stats aren't going to stabilize until the very end of the season. But one stat that is close to stabilizing, at least for uh, players that have been playing every day, is the swinging strike rate for hitters. And so I think um it's kind of interesting that Marcus Simeon has basically doubled his strikeout rate from last year, just over 27%. Um, and on the other end, Kyle Seeger has lowered his strikeout rate from 19.4% to 8.4%. Uh so you know, these are changes that uh you know are close to stabilizing. Now, I mean, all things, all kinds of things can happen with players that have made extreme changes. Um, you know, they can get into a a bad mechanical rut or get hurt. But at least what they're doing so far, it it seems to be sustainable. So what do you make of somebody like, uh, say, Nick Castellanos or Matt Chapman, who's striking out a lot more, whiffing a lot more, but making up for it with extra power, which hasn't stabilized yet?
1: I sometimes wonder if that's the byproduct of a swing change where you're getting – the great result when you connect, but you're having a hard time connecting as often as you did previously. Uh, it's just purely speculation in these cases. I'd want to look and see if there are any stories about swing changes or watch some video and see if it checks out. Because neither one of Castellanos or Chapman is a guy who I expected to see striking out more than like 20% of the time. Like they, they just seem stable in that regard. So that's definitely a pretty big surprise. And you know, going the other way, Trevor Story cutting his strikeout rate i kind of thought he was settled in as a 25 percent k rate guy but his swinging strike rates down his k rates down a lot and if he's able to maintain that al i mean like what's the ceiling for trevor story if he's going to carry a 15 or 18 percent strikeout rate instead of hovering around that 25 percent mark with the power speed combo that he brings to the table
0: yeah, it's a big deal uh, for 2021. I mean, maybe that puts him in the discussion for first pick. Uh, so that's that's going to be a huge thing to watch the rest of the way. And speaking of the rest of the way, uh, we've got updated rankings on The Athletic from Jake Seeley. He's got his updated 2020 Fantasy Baseball rest-of-season rankings, the top 500. So do check that out as we try to figure out how to value these players uh, now that we have a few weeks in the books Uh, So that's our featured read for today, and that's going to be all for this episode and this week of Fantasy Baseball in Fifteen. If you're listening to this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we'd greatly appreciate it if you take the time to do that. So, for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we'll be right back here on Monday.